Welcome back to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. We have an exciting show today about a pretty remarkable concept, an edible, sustainable public park. Here's the idea. Design and plant a public park area with fruit and nut trees and with culinary and medicinal herbs. Use permaculture gardening principles so that the park area is self-sustaining. Then, allow any and all people to come to the park and pick the ripe fruit, nuts, and herbs. This kind of park has come to be known as a food forest. One of the most well-known food forests is in Seattle, Washington. But there's a new food forest being developed in Austin, Texas. It's called the Festival Beach Food Forest. I really love this concept and wanted to learn more about it. So I met up with two people who have been instrumental in bringing the Festival Beach Food Forest into being. I'm here today with Jody Lane, a founder of the Festival Beach Food Forest, and Jonathan Barona, who is a core team member. Um, and first of all, I'd like to welcome you both to Mothering Earth. Um, I recently began reading about the concept of an urban food forest and was immediately intrigued by it. Um, and so that's why we're here talking to you about the Festival Beach food forest. But there may be people who haven't heard that term. And so I'm wondering if you can start off by telling us what is an urban food forest? Well, I guess, um, you know, with I only know our food forest, the Festival Beach food forest, but I guess you could say it's a... It's an edible landscape uh, in the middle of a downtown area that is on public park land. And what is the purpose? What, you know, why, why do we create these? What we want to do, our, our motto or, um, I don't know, a vision, values, um, goes along the lines of nourish, educate, and inspire. So really what we'd like to do is be able to nourish the public. Um, we've got a lot of food deserts in, in the East Austin, but all, really all over our country, where people could start to see where they can um, come and just harvest whatever's growing. It's it's there's no fences. It's open to the public, and and so we would like to encourage people to do that to forage for food in an urban setting. Just to add to to what Jody was saying, I think the other part of it is um, is really educating uh, people about where food comes from, and you know your. Uh, your veggies and your fruits don't come from a plastic box at the HEB, right? Uh, they come from the ground and from the earth. So I think that's a huge part of it. And then it also inspire other people to continue to do similar types of projects um, or to take a little piece of what the food forest is and, and do that at home. Uh, again, to that reconnection to where food comes from and to the earth. So if I were to come to the Festival Beach food forest and it's in full bloom, mm -hmm. what am I going to see there? What can I do there? As Jody said, it's edible landscaping uh, in public parks. So you pull up, it's a public park. Uh, we have berms and swales, uh, which I'm sure your audience knows, but essentially little um, hills and ditches, right, on contour that uh, help capture water and retain water into the soil. Uh, we have over 100 fruit and nut trees um, that are planted there, as well as different understory uh, shrubs and bushes. Uh, vines, um, other perennial and annual uh, herbs, and uh, different plants, ground covers. So really, it's a lush um, forest garden uh, in the middle of the city. 
and what can I do there besides enjoying the beauty? Yeah, you can come. One thing I would add to that, too, is just the tranquility. What you'll see when you come up is there are no no fences. So next door we have a community garden. That's our sister community garden. And uh, we won't have any fences, and you'll be able to walk up and see uh, these trees and the understory plants, and you'll be able to just pick and eat. There's going to be signage coming soon, so when you walk up to the food forest, you'll be able to see a map of this, the area, so it'll give you some ideas of the burns and swales that Jonathan mentioned and what kinds of trees and plants you'll find in the food forest. And then as you walk around on the on the trails, you'll have smaller signs that tell you, you know, individual plants. And and we're going to aim towards those signs being um, really approachable and accessible for everybody so that you'll know, you know, what's edible, what's medicinal. So you'll have that ability to walk through. And so that's see part that. of the education. Yeah. yeah. But also I can pick fruit from the tree and eat it. Pick fruit from the tree. Absolutely. We and get that question a lot. Yeah. yeah. Is, right. So who... Who, who's going to take the food or what's going to happen to the food? It's like, it's open to the community completely. So um, what Jody mentioned, no fences is really important. Uh, we can talk more about that. But essentially, anybody is welcome to come in and, and pick the ripe fruit um, or herbs or uh, anything else that's growing really that's ripe and ready to pick. I think the challenge is going to be making sure that we're informing people on when it's ripe and when it's appropriate to to pick versus you know an apple or a peach looks pretty good but if it's not ripe it tastes horrible so trying to find that balance is 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 something that we're working on right and another thing that you'll be able to do there we've got benches there now so it's a real tranquil spot to come Mm -hmm. and read and sit we've got places where you can picnic you're listening to Mothering Earth. My name is Salwa Khan, and I'm here today with Jody Lane and Jonathan Barona of the Festival Beach Food Forest. Let, let's sort of go back to the beginning uh, in terms of the, this specific food forest. And how did the idea get started? How did it get going? Give us a little history on this. Yeah, it was a real um, interesting time in East Austin, uh, 2012, when the Holly Shores Master Plan was full, fully underway. And um, there were just a lot of questions for the neighbors. I was living in, the, in that area at the time, and um, Elizabeth Walsh, another co-founder, was my neighbor and professor in, in New York. And uh, her and I, we had both been working professionally with master plans of, of Austin. And we were watching how this was going and noticing that the community voice wasn't being heard fully. And it, it wasn't that people were, were trying not to listen to it. It was more like there was just a lot of contention. You know, we were dealing with a lot of gentrification conversations. The Holly Power, Holly Power Plant was coming down. So on one hand, it was a great, a great uh, group of discussions that were happening on what do we do with this this parkland now that the Holly Power Plant was coming down? What can we create? So it's just a lot of kind of big questions. And what Elizabeth and I and some others uh, decided to do was just gather in our backyards. And so we ha- we made some soup and we called for a potluck and and just called on people to come and and share their thoughts about what could happen in the park. 
Um, the master plan was about 90 acres. It was dealing with the 90 acre uh, parcel. So we didn't want to necessarily take on 90 acres. We started to realize that the one thing we had in common, all these different voices, was food. And we had the food is free folks there and compost peddlers and urban patchwork and sustainable food center, a lot of neighbors that had been there for generations talking about their gardens, um, people in the Rosedale area that were really concerned about the food deserts. So as a group, um, we started to hear the permaculture group that had come talking about how we could, we could grow food in a public park. And so that's how, really how it started and how it formed over big, huge pots of soup. Talk about uh, some of the uh, specific input that you got from the neighbors. What, what kinds of things were they either concerned about or looking for Yeah, that maybe tied in with what you were doing? Yeah, um, some of the neighbors uh, were concerned about the, you know, like I said, the gentrification and, and food being an issue. Um, and they were wondering, you know, how can we be a strong voice together for when policy decisions started to be made, how can we together have a, a, a combined voice for something healthy and something vibrant? So that's why we thought, okay, if we develop a food forest together, we're going to be able to maybe even stretch that out. You know, our community will grow and we'll be able to take on some big topics. Um, that was one of the main ideas in the beginning. And the concerns that the neighbors brought up were, were v- valid and varied. Um, one of the biggest concerns was um, the rodents. It was going to attract, you know, this, if it's wild and it's, there's no fences and it's out in the middle of a public park, what's going to stop, you know, these, yeah. these rodents from coming and proliferating. Concerned that the squirrels were going to take all of the, they were, you know, the fruit, and they were concerned that the... Um, the homeless people or the people that capitalize on selling fruit and selling trees on the, on the corners are going to just come and take everything and sell it. And our response to all of that was it could happen, and it probably will. So we just, we just say, okay, that all of that could happen. And Um, we're just going to continue with our mission and deal with those things as they come and, you know, just be smart about the solutions. Once you got the idea going, how talk about uh, where you went from there in terms of acquiring the land. We asked for two acres. It's like three acres. Three acres Mm -hmm. from the city. That was our plan in the beginning. And um, when the city council meeting, the final city council meeting was happening. Um, there were lots of people in the, in the meeting hall and the food force became a topic on the agenda. And some of the neighbor, neighborhood groups that were a little leery of the food forest, mostly their, their concerns were, um, will our taxes go up? You know, and will this bring more white people into the area that would, you know, raise the you know you know what gentrification is so that was a big question and then the questions that I had mentioned before like how is this really going to work you know in terms of rodents and all that so 
the city council finally the gavel knocked and they gave us a pilot project of two-thirds of an acre so they're letting us do this test on two-thirds of an acre and then we can maybe have that three acres and so so at this point you're can you are you still in the pilot phase then Mm -hmm. so yeah like we're calling it phase one right You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Jody Lane and Jonathan Barona of the Festival Beach Food Forest. And we'll be back to talk more about the food forest after this break. back now. You're listening to Mothering Earth, and I'm here today with Jody Lane and Jonathan Barona of the Festival Beach Food Forest. And uh, I wanted to move to how this food forest is designed. Um, now, you spoke earlier about permaculture, so talk about some of that. How, you know, how does that work into this design? The Festival Beach Food Forest is just generally designed on permaculture principles. So we um, I guess because of the like the process of getting the land, uh, there was an opportunity to really observe and see how the um, how the plot and how the how the landscape actually reacts to different water events and and kind of all the different aspects of of the land itself. Um, so we had a team of permaculturists uh, here in town who basically got together and came up with what the design is going to look like. Uh, I went through several different iterations. Um, we ended up, it's a system of berms and swales, uh, which I mentioned previously are, are um, essentially hills or small mounds and ditches on contour uh, to help capture water. So that's a, a big feature. Um, here in central Texas, water is fairly scarce, and so it's a way to, to capture um, more water into the landscape uh, instead of allowing it to run off into the sewer drain. Uh, so, so the whole system is really built around that, around capturing water. Um, we have, there is a hard, uh, hard cover, um, impervious cover runoff that comes from the RBJ building uh, next door that goes through the community garden and then kind of all comes out into the food forest. And so we have the, the berms and swells designed in a way to capture that. Um, in addition to the berms and swells, we also have a series of mulch pathways that are there for access and to allow um, individuals in the community to really enjoy the space. Uh, so that's kind of part of the care of people, right? And so it's the design is really, you know, one, to create abundance and to have uh, success in the plants and the trees, but then also for the educational aspect of it and allowing uh, people to really interact with the food forest and easily uh, walk through and navigate and, and be able to observe and harvest from uh, all the different plants and trees. Uh, so that's a, a huge part of it um, that went into the design was making sure that it was all accessible and was uh, easy to uh, to view and to um, see what what is available at the food forest. Right. And then what kinds of trees and understory bushes and such, what's there? What kinds of specific sure. so, fruit trees or um, nut trees? Or? 
in uh, in November 2015, we um, received a grant through the American Forest. Um, I guess American Forest Forest, is, Forestry of American Forestry or American Forest, but as well as an organization here called Tree Folks. Uh, and we planted 100 uh, different fruit and nut trees. So we have pecans, we have black walnuts, we have uh, Asian and Texas persimmons, we have plums, uh, peach trees, apple trees, um, pear trees, a bunch of figs because they do really well here, some loquats, uh, dwarf mulberries. These are all kind of the tree level. Um, in addition to that, we also did some some other plants like fragrant mimosas, uh, elderberries, uh, which are can be toxic, but you know that goes to the educational uh, part of it. Um, we installed some uh, some citrus. Uh, that actually did not do very well <laughs> over this past winter. So we're planning on uh, on replacing those trees and, and really trying to see how we can get some citrus in there. It's a, it's a fun uh, tree for the community and for people to see is, is citrus. And there are some successful ones that live here in Central Texas. Um, so we're doing what we can with that. Uh, we also have some large timber bamboo uh, that's installed on the site. Um, some cypress trees, some fragrant mimosas. Uh, we have um, so golden, are, the, are uh, these other things for to bring in certain types of birds or pollinators? Or? Yeah, some of them are for uh, for pollinators. We also have the highway right next door to the the site, and so we have a barrier berm. Uh, which is where the bamboo is and some of these other larger trees. We have date palms there. Uh, and really it's to create a visual and, um, and you know, just a, a screen from some of the pollution, some, some of the pollution, uh, both, uh, you know, actual pollution, but then also the audio pollution and the visual pollution that, you know, some of these uh, um, man-made right. I don't know, traffic can cause. And then uh, what kinds of smaller plants yeah, do so we have? Yeah, so we have uh, grapevines. We just installed a row of grapevines, which is actually going to be beautiful when it grows out. Um, some lavender, rosemary, all different kinds of mint, lemon balm, uh, comfrey as a dynamic accumulator. Um, we have goji berry. We have chili pekin, which is a uh, local chili I'm sure you're aware of. Um, we have uh, currently some of our cover crops. We have some peas uh, for nitrogen fixing. Um, we always have wildflowers because one of the pollinators, but then also because it's pretty and, and people like pretty things. Um, so, yeah, I think that's cilantro, a pretty good cilantro. Radishes. Yes, radishes. Uh, leek. We have some leeks, some fennels. Mm-hmm. Fennel. Uh, fennel, some. Um, wow. Yeah, onions. I mean, just all kinds of different things as yeah. far as the annuals and the cover crops. Uh, we do a lot of uh, chop and drop, so we rotate our annual cover crops. Um, and again, just to bring that those nutrients back into the earth and, right. and into the, the berms and swells. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm Saul Wakan, and I'm here today with Jody Lane and Jonathan Barona of the Festival Beach Food Forest. And uh, Jonathan, you were just talking about the different plants there. When you plant these trees and other plants, how do you make sure that they get enough water to get sort of get established? Is there water available at the site? We've been fortunate. One of our core team members um, is a landscape designer and contractor, and so we have drip irrigation 
actually installed for um, most of the main trees. Uh, and that's just for the establishment phase. And and realistically, we're in central Texas. And so you're always going to go through drought periods and times when irrigation is going to be important. Um, so even though the site is designed around water and harvesting that with the berms and swales, um, it's still important to have the irrigation in place. Uh, and right now we do use it um, because, again, they're in the establishment phase and we want to make sure that we have healthy trees and plants. And then in terms of long-term maintenance, um, it, you know, in terms of water and also, I don't know how you, or is there any program to compost and feed the existing plants? With the establishment, we have used some organic fertilizer, some compost. Um, we heavily mulch everything. Uh, and that's kind of a, a really big component, one for the water and then also for just building soil activity. Um, we have done inoculants for um, for the mycelium uh, and so we have several different uh, fungus and mushrooms active on site uh, again with all that mulch they really just love the environment uh, we do some mineral supplements but um, just uh, strategically and for certain trees uh, and then really you know just by having a strong cover crop uh, and doing chop and drop, we, we're harvesting a lot of those minerals and making them bioavailable for the plants. So how many, how many in general, how many volunteers does it take to keep the food forest going? What, as do you many have as any? we can get. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I think, so we have a core team of, let's say, 10 to 15 that, that have been involved uh, regularly and kind of do say the back office stuff right um but then every second saturday uh we get anywhere from i don't know 15 to 30 volunteers that come out and help depending on the day uh and then we've been um, lucky to work with the austin parks foundation with uh, it's my park day and during those events we'll have you know 40 to 60 volunteers uh it kind of depends on on the day and the weather and you know outside factors uh, but it takes it takes a village. It takes a ton of people um, to maintain it and to keep it looking really nice. Uh, but really, we have a core set of volunteers that organize everything. But we're always looking for more. Um, and then just people cycle in and out as they want to help during the second Saturday workdays, uh, which I don't think we mentioned, but those are um, every second Saturday on site uh, from nine to noon. And that's where we do a, a majority of our work. And so anyone can show up and help? Anyone or? can show up at any time. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great entry into the project. Mm -hmm. You know, if you have never come and been to the food forest, just come on a second Saturday and one of us will be there and, you know, you can get a walk through of the, mm -hmm. you know, what you're looking at and, mm -hmm. and then we can put you to work. <laughs> <laughs> so if somebody uh, somewhere else wanted to start a project like this what kind of advice would you give them or what kind of tips could you give them start with a lot of heart start with a lot of um, open ears towards community there's been people that have been asking us okay you're kind of a model now like the beacon food forest in seattle like we're going to want to know how you did this like how do we go about it and you know i'd say just being really um documenting everything really clearly mm -hmm. finding ways to really um, manage the conversations with the city and really respect that a city has to have bureaucracy in some ways. There has to be some checks and balances. There has to be a, um, sometimes a lot of eyes on their on their work. 
So just to really be patient to be document really well and allow for that to happen. Yeah, I would second the being patient with the city. They are willing to work with you. Uh, just know that it's a process and there are hoops and there's red tape. So we had challenges because they wanted us to just put a fence around it. You put a fence around the project and you're a community garden and we can rubber stamp it and no problem, just go. Um, but the project was intentionally made without a fence because it's a food forest and it's open to the public. And even though community gardens are for the community, sometimes the fence is a barrier for people just to come in. Um, so there, I, w- I would just encourage anybody trying to undertake this project or a project like this to really work with your um, your local government and don't take the initial no or we don't know how to do that. We've never done that before as law and just try to work with them and come up with solutions. When we were going through that master plan process with the city, we were encouraged by some people at the city that came walking up to our table and they didn't want to necessarily be put down on record to say this but they they've been hearing about this permaculture thing they've been hearing that oh maybe there's a strategies that will alleviate the need to mow so much mm-hmm. you know all their the maintenance and the the cost of maintaining all these public parks it must be in some of their dialogue with other cities you know, I don't know but it just seemed like it was on their agenda to, to yeah. maybe see a pilot project happen. So I wouldn't be surprised if they were actually the ones that kind of helped mm-hmm. get this idea really on the table. Festivalbeach.org is the website for more. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth. Mothering Earth.